Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. I'm your host, James, and this week we have a full cast of characters alongside my co-hosts, Sean and Kyle. This week we've got a special treat on top as it's a double match week in the Premier League with the title race implications that should have football lovers on the edge of their seat. While we missed the league over the past few, de- few days, the FA Cup provided its own share of magic over the winter, and we've got all the highlights from the fourth round of football's oldest cup competition to review. Of course, the football world is abuzz with the stunning announcement of Jorgen Klopp's departure for Liverpool at the end of the season. We'll delve into Klopp's illustrious legacy, the impact he's had on the Reds, the deterioration of Sean's mental health specifically, and what this means for Liverpool's future. So welcome back, everyone. This is the first time in a few weeks we've had the full cast and crew, which is always nice to see your guys' beautiful faces on a Monday evening. How's everyone doing? Shotten and Kyle, we'll start out with you. Kyle, how are you feeling, brother? Uh, feeling good. Feeling good. Got a sneaky victory this week. Got to watch some American football, which was just so, so sad to watch. But, you know, a good week and all. I'm excited to be back. Good. I'm sure you and I are both in better mental health states than, unfortunately, Sean. Sean, how are you holding up, big guy? You doing okay? Yeah, it was a it was a rough go of it. Uh, first of all, finding out that that Klopp was stepping down on Friday morning, my brother sends me a text message, and I just immediately spring to Twitter, and I'm like, this has to be fake. It has to be fake, and then everything is about like, oh my god, I can't believe he's leaving. So yeah, that was a rough go, and then uh, like four hours later. One of the Rangers' best players got ruled out for the season with a concussion. So it's just like, I hate sports. I'd like to throw myself <laughs> into the sea all, all Friday. So that was, a, that was a really depressing day. But a little bit better headspace now, especially after a win yesterday in the FA Cup. Yeah, you got to kind of let it um, marinate for a little bit. You know, I like to write a, an angry letter to everyone and then just, just crumple it up and throw it away. So maybe, maybe that will work for you. Address it to Klopp and see what he does. But uh, absolutely a sneaky win, a, a, a nice win for you guys. Another dominating force in the FA Cup for both teams, um, Man City and Liverpool. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But first, we have to start the episode off with the hot news like any other week. And it's just another managerial departure departure other than uh, Klopp. So we're going to start off with a little managerial mayhem, as we always seem to have at the beginning of hot news. Barcelona legend and current coach Xavi has confirmed that he will not be extending his three-year contract come June. So he has been the head coach at Barcelona since November of 2021, and since then he has led them to 76 wins, 20 draws, and 26 losses. That's over 122 games of all competitions. He's rattled up a tally of 248 points with an average of 2.03 points per game, which is very impressive. When he first came in and took over Barcelona in November of 2021, they had just finished the 2020-2021 season in third place, which was their lowest position since 2007-2008 of third. Uh, He finished the 2021-22 season, which was the first season he got back in second place, and eventually won La Liga last year. Unfortunately for him, his squad has faced many difficulties, a lot of them laying on the injuries. Uh, he's had a very, very young squad, as you'll know. We've highlighted a few of them with with Agavi, and then, of course, Yamal being the youngest one at the moment, tearing up the pitch. But a lot of them have had injuries over the course of the time, and they find themselves in fourth place, 11 points back from league leader Girona, and out of all domestic tournaments. Um, so they still have two chances to win. 11 points behind is obviously a big feat, especially with Real Madrid still ahead of you, but not impossible. Their biggest competition right now that they have is the Champions League, in which they're facing Serie A league winners of last year, Napoli, in the round of 16 in the Champions League. So we'll see what what will be able to be maybe possibly salvaged in this season. Uh, Rumor has it that Xavi has started to lose the locker room a bit. I don't know the ins and outs of it. But he came in with very um, a lot of respect, being a legend, and I think just over the course of the time, he's had very strict regiments, and you know he's been a very very positive influence. I think in a lot of player developments there right now. But of course, Barcelona is not the easiest place to manage right now with a lot of financial issues going on. Uh, what type of pitch are they going to sell next year? Are they going to sell half of the field to advertise it on on the grass? They're they're coming up with crazy ways to actually raise some funds selling more studio space, selling more of their rights over TV, airing time, and whatnot. So I'm sure it wasn't been the easiest way. And and as you can imagine, they have been relatively quiet in transfer windows over the past two seasons too, which will obviously 
disappoint Xavi in any direction that he was trying to take the team. But of course, being Barcelona currently sitting fourth is not something the fans nor owners of Barcelona will take lightly. So that's kind of the situation that Xavi has found himself in. He has said that it's probably best for himself and for the club because he is such a large lover of Barcelona that they were to part ways at the end of the season. Um, a lot of this comes from the rules that he implemented in the club. And, and to help us dive into that a little bit more, I know, Kyle, you have you have the facts for that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but when Frank Lampard came to the Premier League, he tried to implement this this crazy list of rules. And it you know kind of backfired on him when the team didn't perform to his standards. But on the other spectrum, Xavi, he made a list of rules. And this worked wonders for the team. They included stuff like players must be 90 minutes early to practice. Staff must be two hours early to practice. Players must eat at the training ground. Players will be fined for breaking rules. Fines double for repeat offenses. Curfew 48 hours before a game. Travel and off-field habits monitored. Players prohibited from dangerous activities. Meritocracy. And players must maintain a good image. I mean, it's, it's kind of military style what he implemented. But goddamn, every season that he was there, they got higher and higher until they won. So... Yeah, I mean, they get paid eight, nine figures to play this game. You damn right they should be on the military schedule. I absolutely love what he was doing over there. I don't think it's going to be too hard for him to find a new team to fit into. His merit speaks for itself. He showed up. He made the team a lot better than it was, and he kept them on a tight leash. The, you know, the one problem I might see is that the fight this summer for managers is insane. We have... Xavi, Jurgen Klopp, Jose Mourinho, Zinedine Zidane, Hansi Flick, and Antonio Conte on the chopping block right now, ready to go to a new team this summer. Those are household names. Six of the best 10 managers in the world right there. But one manager you don't see there is Arteta. So there's yeah. been a couple of rumors yeah. about him. You want to dive into that one? <laughs> yeah, just because, you know, I love him so much. I think I would be right there with Sean on... Uh on the Golden Gate Bridge or the George Washington on our coast, ready to go off outside of Fort Lee. But <laughs> it, it's the uh, the second time that that uh, it's really well known that Arteta has been linked with talks of going to Barcelona. Uh, you know, Arteta has finished just recently his fourth full calendar year with the club. He joined first in December of 2019-2020 after Unai Emery, um, and that he received the club in 11th place. Since then, Arteta has led the team in 210 matches of all competitions. He's got a record of 124 wins, 32 draws, and 54 losses. A lot of those losses coming in the 2019, 2020, 2021 season, um, where they finished eighth place in both those seasons. Uh, he's got an average of 1.92 points per game, so not far off what Xavi was doing at Barcelona in a little bit less time frame. Uh, his current contract is up in June 2025. So I think that's the first big debunking of this rumor is that Arteta has one year left in his contract. Why would he leave a program that he set up this entire time and really has shown the grassroots of this thing taking off in 2024 when his contract that he just renewed two year, last year for a two-year extension in 2025? Doesn't make much sense to me. And, you know, this wasn't the first time Arteta's been linked like this, but this is definitely the first time he's responded in such um, an emphatic way. Uh, to the rumor where he quoted uh, today, he said, what you read yesterday, I don't know where it's coming from, and it's totally untrue. I'm really upset about it. So obviously it's not the most um, eloquent way to put it, but it definitely, I, in my opinion, debunks all those rumors. So he won't be added to that long list. And I think the main person that we're going to talk about that you had on that main list, who I don't think will be seen for at least a year in a managerial position but is the one and only Jorgen Klopp, the man himself, the myth, the med legend, Sean. I know we checked in your mental health earlier, and I'm just going to be watching the screen to make sure if there's any red flags that I see it deteriorating a little bit further. I'll just pause the session. We can cool <laughs> off for five minutes, and we can come back in. But I, I, when I saw that in the morning and sent to our group chat right away, I was, I was trying to figure out what was going on in your headspace. But in order to to figure out why your headspace was so poor, I think a lot of the fans need to understand the true impact that Klopp has had, not just on you, but on Liverpool as a whole and even the English Premier League. So why don't you kind of take us through memory lane a little bit? There's still a lot of left to play for this league, specifically for Liverpool, with four trophies and half the season still on the line here. 
but take us through what what Klopp has really done to this program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you, you're, when you talk about Jurgen Klopp, you're talking about someone who's one of the most successful managers in Premier League history. He's got the third best points per game. He's won the Champions League, the FA Cup, the Carabao Cup, the Club World Cup, Super Cup. He, but most importantly, he delivered the third, or excuse me, the first title for for Liverpool in the league in 30 years. Um, but the titles don't even speak to the impact that he's had. The connection that he has with the fans for someone who's you know lives thousands of miles away um, has only been in in his presence three different times in in the stands. The connection he has with Liverpool fans cannot be underestimated or you know overstated. Seriously, I mean he's just um, an incredible human being. I think from a tactical standpoint, yeah, he's great. But from a man manager standpoint, his ability to connect with human beings is just second to none. Um, you get, it's a testament to you look at all the all the players that he's had in the past, all the kind things they've come out and said about him. Um, you know, a lot of guys talk about him being like a second father figure. Figure. Um, like I said, when I got this, the text from my brother on Friday and went, went to news, it was like, it was like my dog died. That was literally how it felt like just absolutely devastating gut punch. Um, and and, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm stunned obviously, but some part of me knew this was going to happen one day. Um, I think his plan initially was actually to step away last year. Um, however, the, you know, the status of the club, you know, missing out on Champions League football. I don't think he wanted to leave in, in that state. And actually, he said that his wife talked him into coming back for this season. So big shout out to the, the Queen, Ula Klopp. We love you. <laughs> um, and yeah, like you said, I think there's still, uh, you know, there's four trophies to play for still for Liverpool. And that's that's the key. You want to send him off on a good note. Of course, the league would be first and foremost among anything else. Um, you know, they have the Carabao Cup final at the end of February would like to win that as well. But, you know, the league obviously takes precedence. A guy, like I said, who's got the third best points per match percentage in the history of the league, he should have more more than one Premier League. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a- absolutely devastated, but certainly respect and, and uh, appreciate all of the contributions that he's made to Liverpool. And, you know, going forward, obviously, he deserves some time to rest. I think, you know, Kyle did mention before that he's available. He actually did say he's going to take at least a year off mm-hmm. um, from from manager from you know any managerial opportunities. And you know, again, talking about what he said uh, about how important um, Liverpool is to him, he said he won't manage another Premier League team again or a team in England at all. Um, so I, I would imagine it would be the German national team seems like the most likely one. We know Nagelsmann will be also available this summer. He's just recording, or, or excuse me. Um, taking over until the end of the Euros, which you know they actually host in Germany this summer. But I think you know going forward from there, potentially that's a job he wants to do. It's a lot less stressful. Um, he gets to stay in in Germany where he's from. I know he just had a grandchild this past summer, and that's obviously something that's really important to him. He's talked. I mean, if you, you just listen to anything, he's a super down to earth guy. He you know wants to be a normal human being. That was the main yep. takeaway that I got from from his exit interview. Basically, just saying like. I've been doing this for nine years. He's one of the most, you know, um, emphatic and intense managers in game. Um, his training sessions are the same way, and that takes a toll on you. I mean, you look at the pictures of him. Obviously, anyone's face changes in nine years, but he looks like he's been a president. You know, the difference between <laughs> like Barack Obama after four years, same sort of thing with Klopp. I mean, he had the weight and the expectations of not only a city, but an entire, you know, worldwide fan base on his shoulders for the last nearly decade. Um, just can't say enough good things about him. I absolutely adore him, and uh, he'll certainly be missed. Yeah, I mean, one of the, and if you haven't YouTubed it already, it's about 28, 27 minutes long. It's his exit interview on Liverpool TV or whatever platform or they, they call their social media. And it's really great. And Johnny Nellon had his attitude and his mentality during the entirety of it is extremely humbling. And it's almost, you know, you can feel his pain of being able to say this, that it's just, it's time for him to take a break. It was so much energy. And and one thing that really stuck out to me was what a lot of people don't realize behind the, behind the doors of any soccer program. It's not just the regular season that these coaches and these back of house staff are working their asses off for. Jorgen Klopp says it, I think, three quarters or halfway through the interview. 
that you're starting to plan next season before your current season even kicks off. Yep. You're spending so much time prepping, searching for players, making sure they fit in. It's ridiculous. And the fact that he was visioning himself doing that again for next season was a, a surefire tell that he, he just, it wasn't, it wasn't time. Fuck it, man. If I could say that I just, I don't have the energy to do my job and I was that good for that long and I might have this, the setup in the future, I would do it in a heartbeat. But I, yeah, it was, a, it's a really great interview and I, I would recommend everyone to at least watch a good portion of it just to get the tone of how he connects to you through this. And I'm not even a Liverpool fan. Right now, I'm an anti-Man City fan, so this hurts all of our, hey. our chances. But this is this is true. Yeah, I, I think you just touched on it there. He said in the interview he was going through the, the succession planning um, for and the transfer business for next summer, and he just kind of it dawned on him, like, I just don't have it. Um, so he's made this decision back in November. He let the club know that, you know, that he was not going to be returning, and hopefully uh, they've taken the time in between um, you know, that moment and this announcement to prepare for whoever is next. But um, the one thing I will say is that he set them up, you know, in, in great position. There's a ton of, you know, young, promising talent. One of the biggest things that he's done is completely revamped the academy, and they're starting to see the fruits of his labor from that standpoint. Um, you know, just look at the FA Cup yesterday. They had five youth academy graduates play in that game and, and contribute. Um, Curtis Jones, Trent Alexander-Arnold are two, you know, surefire first teamers and then there's a, a slew of guys who have contributed as well over the last couple of years so yeah uh, just a one last thing i wanted to mention because i just think this is really a testament to him as a manager no team has more comeback victories in the top five leagues in europe over the last nine years which just speaks to the mentality um that he puts in his team and and obviously from an impact on the on the league as a whole you know, look at how important and how commonplace gig and pressing is throughout the league now. He was the 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 person who really brought it to the Premier League, um, and now at least half the teams play that way, where they lose the ball, they immediately look to recover and use the press to create opportunities. Um, you know, from an attacking standpoint. So, you know, yep. huge impact obviously on the club, but also on the league as a whole and, and the way the game's played. Yeah, just to further explain that to to the listeners, because that's that's a, a very technical term that even I'm not 100% on, but the gig and pressing that Sean's talking about is essentially as soon as you lose the ball, your midfield and your defense is so high up the pitch, more specifically your midfielders or your defensive midfielders are so high up the pitch, they immediately swarm around the opposing team that just won the ball to prevent a counterattack, and that's that counter counterattack press that he's referring to that you'll see a lot like even Manchester United are trying to do it and they're failing underneath Eric Ten Hag by booting the <laughs> ball up and trying to get that press on them very quickly but you, you like you said these big names or these legends of the managerial game do not leave without leaving such an impact on it and you know just to summarize his history with Liverpool when he came in into Liverpool in the 1516 was it 1415 or was it, was it 1516 15, yeah, it has the october 15, of, of 1516 they finished that season in eighth place and never looked back they finished fourth place in 1617 14 fourth place in 1718 second in 1819 first place which would have been probably the highest point tally as well if they won in an undefeated season if they won that game against manchester city um that was first place they finished third place in 2021. They finished second place in 2022. And then, of course, last year was the only real blip on his radar, finishing in fifth place. And they currently sit in first place. So really impressive. And and you have to remember a lot of those seasons where he, they finished second, first, second, Man City has been there. They're the only team in the past six seasons to have beaten Man City to the title. So without them, we're looking at an absolute Bundesliga situation here. So... With that being said, we have a couple big questions for you, Sean. Few that are re like required to be answered, and the other ones are all based off opinion. But first, Kyle, go ahead. Yeah, super quick point though. Just to even even talk up a little more. Those couple seasons that he finished in second, he scored over ninety points. I mean, he lost the Premier League with ninety-seven points in twenty nineteen. That's unheard yeah. of. I mean, he yeah. deserved to win the Prem three times. He's one of the best coaches we'll ever see in the Premier League. And if you listen to his players speak about him, even before the announcement, you'll never hear a bad word out of their mouths. He helps them on and off the pitch. And that scene, I mean, 
look at the players. Look at them. They change their appearance when they get the clop. Their teeth get whiter, straighter. Like it's <laughs> it's unbelievable what he does for these players. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I misspoke, Kyle. But that was the great point that you said in, in the the season 18, 19, uh, 20, 18, 2019 when they finished in second place, one point behind Man City. That was the season they only had one loss. Um, and unfortunately for Liverpool, it, it just happened they had seven draws. Man City only had two draws and four losses. But yet, ninety seven points will easily win you the league without a doubt any other year. Yeah, yeah. it would have. It would have been the Man City. Uh, title in 2021, 2022, when they had 60, 93 points. It's it's the fourth highest scoring season in the Premier League ever. One of the other ones is obviously that Man City team, and the other one was Liverpool the next year when they won it with 99. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have the two long. He has a two of the three longest winning streaks in the history of the league, but with 18 wins and then 17 wins, um, just incredible, really. Uh, and the other thing you have to talk about with him is he's probably one of the best knockout cup managers of all time. Think about the fact that yeah, they they've got they've won every trophy that he's competed for. They've also gotten to League Cup finals, Europa League finals, two other Champions League finals. Didn't come out on top in those games, but uh, you know, in terms of going to he made Anfield a fortress again. Yep. And just in general, they were a team that nobody other than Real Madrid wanted to draw over the last eight years in European competition. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that leads us into, into the question. You, you, you created this fortress, right? You, you stocked it with the proper army. Who, who's next to take the Liverpool job? Yeah, for me, there's only one guy who stands out um, in terms of uh, someone that I'd be happy with. And it's Xabi Alonso. Um, Someone who obviously understands the club, having played for for Liverpool in the mid two thousands to late two thousands, um, winning a Champions League there, he knows how special Anfield is. He has that connection with the fans already. He's doing wonders at at Bayer Leverkusen right now. Um, they're top of the Bundesliga. Obviously, we still expect Bayern to win, but you know him having that that ability would be great. He's played for some of the best managers in the world. He's played for Pep. He's played for Mourinho, Ancelotti. Uh, Vicente de Bosque. I mean, he's played for all the top guys. He's won everything, you know, multiple times over. He's. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how, or I did. I said that you know, the, sometimes being a great player doesn't make you a great manager because you're so focused on your own individual abilities. You have such great gifts. Um, and not trying to say he wasn't a great player, but I think a lot of it was his brain. His football brain was so elite. He was such a great playmaker. Um, I think that translates a lot better than a guy like a Lampard or a Stevie G who are just tremendous athletes, um, tremendous strikers of the ball, that type of thing, where um, it, their game wasn't as as predicated on on their footballing IQ. Um, yeah. Son of a manager. I just think I think he's the guy for me. I, I don't know about, about a second-place option. Maybe maybe Roberto De Zerbi from Brighton. Um, maybe Nagelsmann, but I, I, he's a bit of an asshole from what I've read. Um, so going from Klopp, who like is universally loved by the fan base, to someone who's a bit more ornery, I'm not sure if that's the best fit. I think for me, Chabi Alonso is the guy I would go after. Not uh, not Hansi Flick, another German manager, who clearly has the accolades. I mean, he's coached the best, but he's won with them. Yeah, no, listen, I, I understand, obviously, Flick, but I think his stock has fallen quite a bit after his time as the German national team manager and the, the disappointment they had at the Euros in 2020. Um, also, he's not going to have the same connection with the fans. He has no connection to Liverpool previously. I know Klopp didn't, but he built that almost immediately, the goodwill that you know that he brought. Xabi Alonso, I think fans will be a lot more patient with someone who is an ex-player was a young manager who has a high ceiling and, and room to grow overall and also instills a lot of the same principles. He's a big fan of, of counter-pressing as well. So I think he makes the most sense, but we'll see. I mean, that could help out a lot because the next question that we have here is, you know, what does this mean for the future of Mohamed Salah, Virgil van Dijk, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Arnold, who all have 18 months left in their, in their contracts? The wrong coach could really shy them away from continuing their program here. So it's very important... So question to you, how much impact do they have possibly on this selection? And then even if they don't, what does it mean for them? Absolutely. Yeah, this is this is the first question, you know, once I finally got over my uh, my grief 
Um, <laughs> and people started talking about this today. This kind of started making the rounds yesterday and today. Uh, Van Dyke's basically said he'll have to see. It's it's a wait and see. And and listen, all three of those guys deserve the right to reserve judgment based on who the manager is. I mean, if they bring in Roy Hodgson, all three of them are the fuck out of there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not not saying that he's actually the pick, but you know, someone like that, um, where it's not that exciting. They also have to know what role they're going to play. So perhaps they bring in a manager and the manager says, oh, I'm going to a system where, you know, I, I only play with two strikers up front. Salah doesn't fit what I want. Or, I mean, I don't I don't think there's a scenario where Virgil van Dyke doesn't fit what you want. He's the best center back on the planet. So mm-hmm. no matter what your system is, he works. Um, Trent, even, I guess, hypothetically, depending on what a manager is looking for, maybe they don't have a pay- place for him. So that that's the big thing. They have to nail this hire, and it has to be somebody who, you know, has a plan for each of these three guys and can communicate that quickly because, you know, specifically for the first two, Van Dyke and for Salah, they only have probably two or three more years at the top level. They're not going to waste their time with a club that doesn't have ambitions with a manager who doesn't, you know, have a clear plan laid out as to what he wants to do. Um, so certainly I, I don't want them to leave, I think, you know, despite the money that you could bring in for for either of them, specifically Van Dyke, um, it, it would cost more to replace him than just, you know, than money. You know what I mean? The leadership mm-hmm. that he brings, the individual ability. I think there's just such a gap between him and the next best center back just based on, you know, his ability at the back, his leadership, his ability and aerial duels. Um, he's just absolutely top, top class. Um so I really hope that they find a way to get this done. But again, I think what Van Dyke said is is the right approach. If I was their agent or if I was advising them, I'd say basically wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with Virgil Van Dyke, he's 32 years old. He's still got a couple more years, like you said. But just saying that age, he exudes experience and leadership. So like you said, he's a little bit more central of a, a position that, you know, everyone has a center back in their field. But of course, I mean this is this is going to be a challenge for them to overcome. How how do you feel about the timing of the interview slash announcement? You still, like I said, you still have all four trophies on the table for you: the Premier League, Carabao Cup, FA Cup, and Champions. I'm sorry, and Europa League. You still have those four major trophies for you. You're in first place. You were a little bit past halfway through the season. Now, timing of it. What do you think? Yeah, that that's definitely unfortunate. Um, I guess it had to come out at some point, and he didn't want to just finish the season and say, hey, I'm leaving. Um, I guess, you know, he felt like he indebted to Liverpool fans. I guess this is also something that's been under wraps from a media standpoint that for a couple of weeks people may have known, and maybe they had reached out and said, hey, let's, you know, can you give us time? So I, I it can go one of two ways, right? It obviously it could derail their season. They lose a bit of focus, or can serve as a galvanizing thing. Everybody kind of unites around him and finishing on a high note, which, um, you know, knowing what I know about the the mentality of these players, I think it, it should be the latter. Um, yeah. Easier said than done, and obviously we'll know, you know, a month from now, better what the impact is on the players. But um, that you know, I certainly expect that they're they're disappointed probably in the moment, but that they want, you know, they, they love them and they want to send them off with at least a, you know, a couple of trophies. Like you mentioned there, they still have everything to play for over the last four months of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being one of those giants and the coaches and the managers of the premier league, I'll pass this one over to you, Kyle, because there's most likely going to be a similar situation for Pep Guardiola over the next year as well. His contract's up in 2025. What impact do you think that this will have on the Manchester city side being this is probably the largest rivalry between Man-, Man City and Liverpool, non-geographical. I hate it. I absolutely hate the announcement. Um, Pep said near immediately that Klopp was the biggest rival he's ever had. I mean, we're talking about a guy that played in the top tier of Germany, Spain, and England now. So that is high praise out of out of Pep Guardiola. I, you know, Pep's been talking about wanting to go coach internationally in the near future. That's his next step. With this announcement, I... I think it's leaning that he leaves at the end of 25 now, which I'm not happy about because, you know, he's got players on City tethered to him, not the City, to him, such as Kevin De Bruyne, in my opinion. So I think that this this announcement's going to impact a, a couple teams, but I, I genuinely believe Pep is going to leave now because of this. But 
you know, Sean, one one nice saving grace here is at least you got to see him live twice this year. You, you, three you times. Can say three times. Yeah, that's that's at least something. You know, you can say you got to watch him on the sideline. And, you know, speaking of him on the sideline, he had his first home game um, since the yeah. announcement. I'm sure you guys watched it where he mm-hmm. actually got to see Jurgen Klopp. And it was the first time I've ever seen him emotional, ever. What, I mean, Sean, watching that, what are your emotions when seeing Jurgen Klopp get get that feel? Yeah, it's tough. Like I said, you can just, you know, and he knows how much the fans mean to him. He usually gets really pissed off when they live, when they sing his song, which is I'm so glad that Jurgen was red. He'd be like, sing the player song. Don't sing my song. I think he knew how emotional it was for, um, you know, for Scousers and for Liverpool fans in general and didn't didn't have anything negative to say about it. He's like, okay, you can sing my song, but only after the game, before the game, like let's, let's keep the focus on the players in. Uh, again, which just shows the you know the humility that he has, and he's always kind of deflecting the attention back onto his players, um, ex- except when it's a negative. Then he then he takes the brunt of it. Um, it. Just from an emotional IQ standpoint, he's he's great. He just seems to know how to get the best out of things. He knows you know how to stay level headed, stay grounded despite the enormity of his job. And at the end of the day, I mean, you, you listen. To, there's one thing. Uh, Jordan Henderson did this podcast called the High Performance Podcast. And they asked him about, you know, how Klopp handles losing. They said that's where he really separates himself from any other man I've played under. He puts everything into perspective so well. Um, and he's so positive and encouraging that you really believe, like, after you lose, we'll be back. They lost the, the Champions League final uh, in Kiev to, to Real Madrid in 17-18. In and he said the players were, like, devastated. And he said, we're going to be back. The next year they went back and won it. Uh, just speaks to you know the belief he instills in his team and the impact that he has on his players. Yeah, well, mark your calendars down. Sunday, May 19th, Anfield, Liverpool versus Wolves is the final home game for Klopp. So make sure you're tuning into that. We'll definitely point it out as it gets further towards the end of the season. That could also obviously be a major game for title um, implications, depending on how far we go. But that is the final home game of the 2024 season for Jorgen Klopp. With that being said, we did have some other things happening this weekend. Unless Sean, you have anything else before we bid adieu no, we can to move the segment on. for we right now? On. Yeah, I, I didn't just... have to pause it all, so I think it was all all positive talk. I, I knew I, I messaged you. I was like, I'm going to stir the pot a little bit, but to me, seeing you upset hurts me more than brings me joy. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll get to it. Don't you worry, we'll get to it. And it's just to play devil's advocate. I, I have so much admiration. For, for Jorgen Klopp and what he's done. So it's all out of the, the podcast game. But speaking of games, we did have some some games this weekend. It was an FA Cup weekend. So I was uh, on vacation as well on this because Arsenal's out due to Liverpool's uh, dominating performance against us in the second half. But we had two games, one that, Sean, I'll let you take away, and then and Kyle, you can take the second one. But one is, as you really called it, as the March Madness-esque game of that magical FA Cup. So go ahead, tell us about Maidstone United versus Ipswich Town yeah, at uh, so this, Portman Road. Yeah, this was Saturday morning, and as I mentioned, you never know that, like like you talked about, the magic of the FA Cup rears its head once again. 2-1 victory for Maidstone United. By far the biggest upset of the weekend. Like I mentioned on the previous podcast, they're in the sixth tier of English football. Some of the stats from this game are bananas. Um Ipswich had 80% of the possession and outshot Ipswich or excuse me, outshot Maidstone 13 to do 13 to two in shots on a target and 28 to two in shots in total. They become the first team outside of the, of the top five leagues to reach this stage, meaning the, the last 16 since 1977, 78 and just incredible scenes. Honestly, there's 4,000 Maidstone fans in the away end. And they were rocking. It was really fun to watch on Saturday. Just um, it was electric. Honestly, credit to them and and to the the coaching staff and the players for pulling it off. Stayed deep, stayed compact, and then took advantage on the counter. And and that's the key to any upset in football, really, right? Um, being able to soak up that pressure and then taking your chances when they present themselves. So. They don't know exactly their opponent yet. There'll be a replay between Sheffield United and Coventry City tomorrow that'll decide which team uh, they do end up going up against, but certainly we'll be pulling for the Stones in the next round. 
Yep. And that game is February 28th. So you can all mark your calendars for that one. Not too bad of um, two options for them going against the, maybe another underdog victory in the fifth round, considering that you still could have drawn Manchester City, Liverpool, Man United, Leicester City, Bournemouth. I mean, there's a lot of big names out there. So to see them get another one that could possibly continue this is is very exciting. But one of, the, one of the big names we just listed off was Man City, and they had an opportunity to do something they have not done at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium ever, and that was to collect the W. And it came in a very, very late 88th-minute goal from Nathan Ake, another unlikely scorer for them. But, Kyle, take us through this game. I don't have a lot to say about it. I was watching this in the Chelsea game, and both games, Chelsea versus Aston Villa, which will also be a replay um, because of that tie. Both games to me were were a bit of a snooze, but this one for sure had a little bit more weight to it, meaning that this is also the Spurs' only way to to get another trophy. Are, are they still in the Carabao Cup? I no, don't think so, out. right? They got out by, uh, who'd they lose to? They lost somebody in, in the championship a while ago. The yeah. Carabao Cup final, we didn't mention. Oh, that's it, right. Chelsea yeah, we know it's Forge, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot how late into that we are. But mm. yeah, so so Tottenham's hopes for a trophy are are vanished now. Uh, unless something happens to to three other teams in the Premier League for that one. But Cal, tell us about uh tell us about this game specifically. Yeah, think about everything that Sean just said about the other game, and this was the opposite. It sucked. It was boring as shit and it it was even the exciting parts would end in just nothing but frustration. I mean, City led eighteen to one in shots, and we have to rely on our fucking center back to score again. It's unbelievable. It's it's just so frustrating when watching a team try to play Pep ball that just can't score. It's just boring as shit to watch. And I mean, Pep starting this game with Stones, Grealish, De Bruyne, and Doku on the bench. Uh, I, I just, sometimes the lineups, I, I get it. It's the FA Cup. Save the players for the Premier League. Save them for the Champions League. You're in other tournaments. You know, start Oscar Bob. Fuck yeah, Oscar Bob, legend. But <laughs> other than that... Like it's just it just gets frustrating turning on Man City versus Tottenham, seeing the lineup and then seeing fail after fail from slow attack from slow attack. You know, I mean I am counting down the minutes until Holland comes back and both he and De Bruyne are in starting form. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a scary combo. And I mean, like again, a bright spot for you guys is Kevin De Bruyne is getting more minutes. Um, you know, I thought this, I, did you put this one shot? I thought this was funny, but I, I, I assumed it was you, Kyle, cause you're a big Lord of the Rings guy but with Nathan Ake's goal in the 88th minute that finished the drought of over 550 minutes which means if you do the math you could have watched the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy without credits over the same period of time for a, a goalless Man City against Tottenham so I thought that was crazy just to against that Tottenham oh my dude I yeah, thought you were talking about Tottenham. the amount of times Ake's last goal that's fucking no, no, no. awful at oh Tottenham Stadium God. yeah I think Nathan Ake probably had a goal sooner than that, to be honest with you. He's got a few. But that's at Tottenham Stadium, the new one. Oh, my, that's so – I mean, I would have rather watched Lord of the Rings in that game. That that was <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Man City will be traveling to Kenilworth Road to take on Luton Town in their quest to retain the treble. They still have the, the quad – no, no, they're out of the Carabao Cup. Again, we have the final coming up, so they're not in it. Poverty trophy. So they, they, could, they could do. Because it won it like six times here. in the last eight years, so you must care about it a little bit. <laughs> it's a, The paperweights on Pep's it depends desk on are who's now winning, just becoming yeah. clutter. But uh, with that being said, we are back this week starting tomorrow. We have a double English Premier League feature. We're going to just take two minutes to, to regalvanize our agenda here, and then we'll, we'll come right back. So don't go anywhere. So as James mentioned, we are back this week with a double match week in the Premier League. The first game that stands out to me is Liverpool first Chelsea at Anfield. Chelsea have been one of the best teams against the Big Six all year. They have one win, three draws, and just a single loss. They've also won four of their last five Premier League matchups. And they started to get healthy. They get, they're, they're supposed to get Malagusto, Christopher Nkuku, and Levi Colwell back for this match. But the thing with Chelsea, as we've talked about numerous times, is 
They're Jekyll and Hyde. You never know which Chelsea you're going to get on any given day. Some days they show up and score four goals, and some days they show up and they do nothing like they did in the FA Cup against Villa last week at home. Definitely a very interesting game to monitor. Obviously, Salah is not going to play in either of the games this week. Um, Egypt did get knocked out of AFCON, but he's out with a hamstring injury. The last seven matches between these two games have ended in draws, um, including two scoreless draws in uh, in the FA Cup and Carabao Cup semifinal a couple of years ago. And then now they'll play each other again in the Carabao Cup at the end of the month, as James just mentioned. It's it's to me it's it's a toss up. I think Liverpool's just going to edge it. I have them uh, going to win this one two to one, but it's going to be very difficult. Chelsea, like I've mentioned, are very very strong against the top sides. Um, and I just wanted to throw one stat in there because everybody else likes hyping up Reese James. Uh, since Connor Bradley, he's the twenty year old backup right back for Liverpool, made his debut on January seventh. He's recorded more assists three than Reese James has in the last two seasons, which is two. So just <laughs> suck on that one, Chelsea fans, you arrogant bastards. Yeah. Kyle. I mean, he, yeah. Oh, the last time. <laughs> seasons, ahead, which is two. That is the <laughs> quote of the day. I love that. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, we got Man U playing Wolves this week. This is a good game, guys. Definitely watch this one. It's a rematch of the one of the most controversial games from last year. There was big VAR earlier in the season. Earlier uh, in the season, yeah, but the first it was the first game of the season too, right? It was the very first was, game. Yeah, I think so. First or second? It was super early. It was what August? Yeah. August fourteenth, something like that. Yeah, August fourteenth. Yeah, real early on. But um, you know the the controversy was that man, you won one nothing, even though Onana UFC punched another guy in the face going up for a ball, <laughs> and it didn't get called, even though VAR looked at it, it didn't get called, and this was at Man U. But one important thing to remember from that game is that Wolves outshot and outplayed the shit out of them. So that was at Old Trafford. I don't think Wolves lose this game, to be honest. This is a big, big week for Wolves. They're going to play Man U and Chelsea, both at home, and they could potentially be as high as eighth place. Eighth place, I'm sorry, at the end of this week. Granted, this is... I'm sure a task no team would ask for. Hey, you know, you could potentially be an eighth, but to do so, you got to beat Man U and Chelsea. It's not an easy task. But in their current yep. form, as Sean said earlier, you could potentially get the Jekyll or the Mr. Hyde of Chelsea. And Man U, you know, they just dropped four this week with, you know, my new scoring, Anthony scoring, Fernandez scoring. So they seem to be in form for all their strikers. I think this is going to be a great game to watch. Um, Rashford, that's someone to keep an eye on. He was caught partying in, what was it, Belfast? And mm -hmm. he's getting fined two weeks' wages, or in other people's terms, 650,000 euro. Two weeks. So, yeah, big big, yeah. big hurt for, for Rashford. But it's it's an interesting thing. He's either going to come out pissed or just sad. And I hope it's just sad. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I, I think they we'll... got rid of Sancho, so they had to, they had, someone had to fill those shoes real quick, and Rashford <laughs> said, fuck it, I'll do it. He sent it to Belfast. Why not? Uh, one thing that we will do is we'll be sending it to Mulligans or some form of alcoholic beverages over the course of the Sunday morning uh, this weekend. Like Sean said, it's a double week fixture, which means we have games midweek and this weekend. And one to point out for this weekend that we have highlighted of the match to be the marquee matchup, if you will, it's Arsenal versus Liverpool at the Emirates Stadium Sunday at 1130 a.m. So perfect, not too early. I can justify an Irish coffee at 11.30 on a Damn. Sunday. That seems legitimate. And I'm going to need at least two or three other drinks with this one based off of the reverse fixture that we had earlier in the season at Anfield, which I think Sean and I both and Kyle, we all agree, that was probably one of the most intense games that we've had this season so far. That ended in 1-1 uh, after an early goal by Gabriel, who's in goal-scoring form still, so maybe he'll get another one. And then I believe it was Mo Salah from the right side who went past Zinchenko, who we highlighted as being the miscue matchup over there, just blast one into the near post, a classic Mo Salah finish after cutting it onto his left side. So this one is going to be the third time both teams square off in 43 days, the first one obviously being that 1-1 draw at Anfield, and then the 2-0 win in the FA Cup. We do look to reestablish ourselves on the top of the table 
but provided that both teams, Arsenal and Liverpool, both win their midweek fixtures, this would just close the gap by two points. But of course, it would be gigantic either way uh, for, for Arsenal to kind of crawl back or claw back into this tile race that they're not quite out yet. Uh, of course, Man City still has a game in hand and have the same amount of point as Arsenal, but this is a huge opportunity. Uh, like Sean mentioned before, Liverpool had a massive boost over the past couple of days with Trent Alexander-Arnold, who I was not expecting to be back for this game, has made it back to the, the substitution roster uh, and was playing in the game this weekend for the FA Cup. You have big Dom Sobislai back as well from training, and even Andy Robertson found himself on the substitution list over the weekend. I don't know. I didn't I didn't notice if he got playing he got time. All, I don't... He got on late. So I think uh, Trent and Sabazla got 30 minutes and Robertson probably played the last 10 to 12. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's gigantic, especially with the with that left side of the pitch being decimated as it is with, uh, with the two other injuries that you guys have there. But with that being said, um, Arsenal are potentially handed a big boost too. I mean, we did have Zinchenko come back, which in my opinion is is gigantic for the for the flow of play, for our ability to create more. He, as much as people say he's a defensive liability, I personally think that his offensive prowess is is much more worth it on that side than than the lacking of defending ability. But it one big one that we could see for the first time or the second time of the season is Thomas Partey coming in and returning for Arsenal, which would be huge, major boost for a side that dominates Liverpool's midfield three, nine times out of ten. Um, Liverpool, like Sean has mentioned, I like you throwing that one in for me. I appreciate I just, that I one, just Sean. remember it so so vividly from the episode I wasn't on before we played the first time. You know, we have played twice, and it was 50-50 in possession the first time, and then I think Arsenal did have the midfield in the second game. But it's just interesting, so we'll see if that actually holds up to being true. <laughs> I I think that this would be, you know, we've we talked about earlier in in the podcast what the three lineup in the middle for Arsenal would be if it was Party Rice and Udegaard. I think everyone would kind of it would be very hard to 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 say that that's not top two, top three central midfielders in the league, and I think it's really someone that can can kind of solidify it personally. I would have liked to see maybe him leave over the winter and bring someone, maybe a striker in, uh, just to to raise the funds. I can only stand so many injuries, and if this guy goes to Africa one more time and comes back with an injury, I'm going to lose my gourd. But um, other than that, <laughs> I, this is going to be another intense game. I mean, Sean, we'll talk offline. I don't know if you're around, but I'm I'm here, so we'll have to see if we uh, Leave all sharp and pointy objects at home, and if you do find yourself over here, we can we can we we can watch it together. Listen, James, before you lose your gourd, um, gotta ask. I ask every time. You guys got predictions for the game? The head, the head. Ah, oh, fuck, man. Um, I'm gonna say it's gonna be two one Arsenal because I need the win. We need the win, and I think two goals. It, it would be a great scoreline for Arsenal on this. Do I think it will happen? Ultimately, if I was doing my lock of the week again, I would say uh, draw no bet Arsenal. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one to Liber- uh, to Arsenal. Ah, it's tough. I think no Salah really makes this one difficult to predict. Yeah, Jata and Nunez are in really good form. They're both on three game goal scoring streaks, which helps quite a bit. Um, I would also love to just stick it right in our boy Jack Dugan's face after the slander of Nunez a couple weekends ago. Um, I'm gonna. <laughs> I was actually, there with him. I'll take some heat on that. I was there with him. I will. I will say though, I think it's going to be a repeat of the um, the match from a month or so ago. I think it's going to be a two-two draw this time. But I just think these teams are too evenly matched. It's going to be come down to fine margins. Um, yeah. The one advantage I would say Liverpool has is just in open play. They're they're a bit more dangerous in free flowing, but Arsenal, like we've talked about, have the the best set piece offense uh, in the league, and I think um, that could rear its head once again, whether it be Odegaard with a direct free kick or you know a corner to, to one of the center backs or Rice. Um, I expect that to to pop up at some point, but yeah, I think I'm going to go for a draw on this one. I mean, yeah, one, one thing, thing to uh, I'm sorry, but one thing to remember is that since Klopp made his announcement, Liverpool are undefeated, averaging five goals a game. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And, and Arsenal have not won a game since. So, I mean, it's it's all valid. It's all valid. He's speaking you know. facts. Yeah, it's true. 
what one fact that I, I'll give you as well, Sean. So if if Nunez score, I'll be upset. But if Jota scores, I'll just off myself because it seems to happen every time he plays against us. So I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this game a lot. I hate I hate that it's a Sunday game because it's literally gonna if it ends poorly for me, it's gonna end the Sunday early and the Sunday scariest will will hit pretty pretty hard. But it is a double week fixture, so there is one other game that I'm throwing out there for the weekend to watch. It is a little early. It's 7:30 in the morning. Uh, it is Everton versus Spurs at Goodison Park. The Spurs have not won at Goodison Park since December of 2018. So I thought that was a really interesting one. Just another possibility of a banana peel for Tottenham. And, you know, they'll still be without Sun, but they will most likely, I will see, we'll probably see more time for James Madison, who we've, we've highlighted as one of the signings of the year uh, for, for the Spurs, uh, who have done a lot of work on and off the pitch. So keep your eyes out for that with the double week fixture here uh we do have a lock of the week and sean it's your turn so what do you have my friend yes so i have selected aston villa to beat newcastle at villa park you have to remember this game the reverse fixture was a 5-1 victory for newcastle on the opening day of the season but we've talked about it several times throughout the year villa had the best home record in the league and newcastle had the 19th best aka second worst road record in the league I just think with the injuries that they have, the form that they're in, losing four straight, I can't see them winning this game at Aston Villa. Villa Park's become an absolute fortress, and the odds are pretty good. It's only minus 110. I actually thought it would be worse. So that's my pick. I'm hoping to get to to 3-3, three and three, get up to 500, um, get a little bit uh, ahead of James and Kyle. That's, that's my pick, though. And again, I did my research. I, I said I was going to come with a good pick. This is my lock. So... I like it. Yeah, I'll I like it a lot. hundred percent. I'll yeah. bet that. Uh, I'll ride. I'll ride with it. That's for sure. And you know, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt the fact that, you know, Newcastle have also given up. I believe the third highest amount of goals when they are away. So, and it's a Villa team that desperately needs to get a few in the back of the net. So I, I'm sure they'll they'll be really gunning for that. But great lock. Great yeah, uh, reminiscing of, of Klopp. Great reminiscing of FA Cup magic and a good look ahead. So without further ado, I think we'll send everyone on their way. Enjoy the double week fixture. And we're looking forward to hearing what everyone has to say when we get back. Until then, enjoy your week and weekend.